Good morning. This morning we continue in Acts, Acts 23. And this morning, um, before we get into our text, we're going to be covering verses 12 through 35. I was talking to Edwin, I'm like, man, I don't know how else to season this chicken anymore. <laughs> like, like I, just, I, just, I just don't. Um, but, you know, the Lord gives. The Lord gives uh, grace. The gospel is still the gospel. And that's the encouraging part, that you're like, what else can I see from it? And then all of a sudden the Lord's like, yeah, that's the gospel. You know, you, you, when you try to see and you, and you pray and, and you try to see where is Christ in the scriptures, and it's like, yeah, that, that, that's Christ right there. And so I hope that's my task this morning is to bring Christ to you once again and I, that you would be encouraged in your Savior, especially given that tomorrow is what? Labor Day, right? That means for us we have a day off. But tomorrow you get to remember the one that labored for us. The one that went to the cross carrying our cross. Carrying the cross of our shame. All the way to Calvary. You get to remember that. See, when you get to link the things in our world, and you use them as pointers to remember your Savior, that's where the task is for us to remember and hold on to those things. Yeah, we get to get a day off, but there's one that we found rest in, and His name is Christ. His name is Jesus. And so, I hope that I get to do that here this morning. Um, So, before we begin, of course, we ask um, the Lord to bless our time, because we don't want to do this on our own. Um, So, will you pray with me now, as we open up the Scriptures? Father, we we glorify your name, as your name is already being worshipped, and is continually being worshipped. Whether we want to or not, creation sings your praises. And I pray, Father, that it would, those praises would come even more from your people. Those that have tasted the redemption through Christ, our Lord and Savior. It is Him that we want to preach this morning. It is Him that we want to apply to our hearts, to our, to our lives, to our families, to our daily living. It's remembering the gospel, Father. It's all that surrounds us, all the noise that surrounds us, global altercation, global things that are happening Father, all that, at the end of the day, falls way short than when we, when we get to just fix our eyes on the author and finisher of our faith, as we heard in Sunday school. So I pray, Father, that that would be our heart here this morning, to place the eyes of our hearts once again on the only one that matters, the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. This morning, we get to talk on two doctrines. Um, been touched upon in various ways, but we get to talk about the doctrines of total depravity and God's sovereignty. And so I know that total depravity is, uh, everybody's okay with God's sovereignty. But when it comes to total depravity, that's where, what do you really mean? Right? What do you mean by total depravity? I mean, as a matter of fact, if you just go to Twitter and you just search total depravity, You'll be interested to see some of the posts that people have about total depravity. I mean, people, even, and I'm talking about specifically even within the church, within evangelicalism, that brush, that do not want to deal with this topic of total depravity. One, number one, I don't think they understand what it really means, but they actually believe that total depravity is actually detrimental to our mental health. Because after all, this is, the age that we live in, right? Everything's about mental health. We have those people that are, you know, unstable in their thinking. And yes, there are people, I'm not 
shunning that there aren't people, that's not what I'm saying. But they say that total depravity is not really something that we should be teaching or, or preaching on and, and sharing with the people because after all, I mean, we're not, I mean, do I really want to go around believing that I'm a piece of garbage? Is that something that I really want to believe? Is that what you're going to tell people, that they're a piece of garbage, that they're, not, they're really worthless? And that's where we actually begin to see that you really don't understand what total depravity really is. Because the Bible doesn't describe total depravity, nor does it teach total depravity as something that's worthless. The Bible actually does the opposite. It tells us that we're, that we're valued before God. I mean, the very thing of John 3.16 speaks to that end, does it not? It speaks to the fact that God so loved the world. He didn't just love pieces of garbage. He loves people. Why? Because we bear His image. We bear the image of God. And, and, and therefore, because we bear His image, it means something. But of course, if... And I would agree that people that believe that, oh, total depravity is foolishness. Yeah, it, it would be foolishness if that's where we ended. If all we would said is that people are totally depraved and we're, if that's what you believe, then you know what? You say, fine. But that's not where the, the gospel comes into play now. The gospel is the one, in other words, total depravity is not the end of the story. It's just the beginning. It's just the beginning where we get to see how original sin did get came into this world. Death through Adam came into this world through that sin. Now we have our natures that have been impacted by it. Have you ever seen um, a jewelry commercial or somewhere where they actually begin to, like they're kind of like highlighting this diamond or this ring? Notice that it's always against a very dark backdrop. Why? Because that piece of jewelry is only going to shine and wow you in that TV screen against a very dark backdrop. It's not going to go ahead and highlight in a month of all these pieces of jewelry. You know, you want to highlight a diamond, it's not going to be in, the, in a sea of diamonds. It's going to be a very good backdrop, and that's where you get to see how beautiful and, 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 and splendid that piece of jewelry is. And likewise, we have to know, in order for us to understand the beauty of the gospel, we have to understand the backdrop of our sin. Does that make sense? And so this is what we get to see here this morning. But this is not my words. I'm not the only one that believed this. If you guys are applying for membership, you probably or have gone through membership, you know that our London Baptist Confession speaks to these things. Chapter 6. Chapter 6 speaks on these things. And one of the people that wrote in the London Baptist Confession was, or participated, was Spurgeon. And here, this is what he says. He says, As the salt flavors every drop in the Atlantic, so does sin affect every atom of our nature. It is so sadly there, so abundantly there, that if you cannot detect it, you are deceived. The venom of sin is in the very fountain of our being. It has poisoned our heart. It is in the very marrow of our bones, and it is as natural to us as anything that belongs to us. In other words, total depravity affects, the sin affects us in our thinking, in our emotions, in our will. That's what we're talking about here. And we have to understand this to the core. It's polluted us. The original sin has polluted us. It's poisoned us. Spurgeon even says that a very hell of corruption lies within the best saint. Do you see that? 
even within the best saint, there's a hell of corruption that lies within him. There is no beast in wolf or lion or serpent that is so brutish as the beast in man. So yes, that's us. Now, what is total depravity? What is total depravity? Total depravity is not utter depravity. That does not mean that because you're totally depraved that you can do no good. That there's no way that you can never do a good thing. That's not what it means. I like R.C. Sproul uses this image of Hitler. Hitler was evil. We know what Hitler did. But Hitler could have been worse. You think of it, really? He could have been worse. Because he wasn't utterly depraved. He was depraved, don't get, don't get me wrong. Now, of course... We look at Hitler as, oh, that, that's, like, that's the picture of evil, you want to look at Hitler. No. You, look, you, you see evil every morning, you look in the mirror. You carry with yourself this desire to do evil. But you have the grace of God if you're in Christ. You have the Holy Spirit of God that now resides in you. To form your conscience, that to, to guide you so that you can discern. This is the difference. So, we're not utterly depraved, but we are totally depraved in everything that we do, in our thinking. Everything is, has the fingerprints of sin. Now, the other thing that total depravity is, it is not total inability. Okay? And this is where we, we, um, we have to understand that, yes, you can do good. Like I just said a moment ago, you can do good. But your good is never going to be enough to earn yourself a righteous standing before God. You will never do anything good. You can feed the homeless. You can go ahead and, and do many good things. But before God, you're never going to merit the kingdom. You're never going to attain the state of righteousness out of your good works. That's the whole purpose of Matthew 7. But didn't I do this for you? Didn't I do this for you? Didn't I prophesy in your name? All those things were good. But why does Jesus then say, depart from me, for I never knew you? I mean, they were good enough, weren't they? Because before God, they weren't righteous. In other words, there's only one righteous one, one righteous act in all of humanity, in all of the history of humanity that matters, and that's Christ. There's no other act of righteousness that matters. And so that's when we need to understand that total depravity. And by the way, the people that might want to buck against this total depravity? I guess they wouldn't be able to sing Amazing Grace, would they? Because how do you sing the very first signs of the wretched man that I am? How do you sing that? Because that's precisely what it means. That's what John knew and understood, that I am that wretched man. That's why His grace is so amazing to save the wretch like me. And so, that's the that's the the ugly picture of sin, that we are totally depraved. Sin has its fingerprints in everything we do, but there's good news. The good news is that a sovereign God made a way. But before we can get to that way, we have to understand where we're at. So that introduction just serves us to understand here what the real link is in the text that we're going to have. Paul is in prison because of this alleged crime that he's committed. And he's surrounded by this, by this crowd of totally depraved people, namely Jews. 
who are after him. And today we're going to deal with what they're actually going to do. How are they going to handle this situation? Paul's in prison, but they're not happy that Paul's in prison. They want more. And so open up to Acts 23. I'm going to read here the text this morning. Acts 23, verses 12 through 35. It says this. Luke writing. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you, as though you were going to determine his case more exactly, and we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Verse 16. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush. So he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, to the commander, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul the prisoner asked me and Excuse me, Paul the prisoner called me in and asked me to bring this young man to you, as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand, and going aside, asked him privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow, as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them. For more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him, who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, Tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Then he called two of the centurions and said, Get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea as the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lysias to His Excellency, the Governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen. And desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. I found that he was being accused about their questions of their law but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent, him, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. And on the next day they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go, go on with him. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked at the province he was from, and when he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. And this is a reading of God's word. He said, I only have two points, so here we go. The first one is total depravity. We see it here in this, in this uh, context. Now you're saying, well, how do, how do we exactly do we see here in this context? Well, we know that the word total depravity, you're not going to find it in Scripture, but Scripture does teach it. Scripture teaches this. 
Merriam-Webster defines it as such, as a corrupt act or practice. Or the quality or state of being corrupt, evil, or perverted. The quality or state of being depraved. In other words, our moral compass is off, very off. That's the, the context of what we're seeing here. The term is usually left to describe politicians for us, right? The ones that are really depraved and corrupt. When we talk about corruption, usually you don't come to, your, your name doesn't come to mind, your image doesn't come to mind. It's usually a politician, right? I, I, I laugh because, I mean, you look at people and you ask them, oh, you know, they're always complaining about their, their government. You know, they come, they come to, the, to this country and I, why do you come here? Oh, man, you're my country, man. They're corrupt. You know, the government and the politicians, they're always stealing money. They're always up to, up to, up to no good. But the Bible doesn't describe politicians as the corrupt ones. We're the corrupt ones. The ones here in Scripture are corrupt. And so that's what we need to understand. Now you're saying, yeah, but I, I, don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe that because, see, my psychology teacher said, I read this article by such and such psychologist that says that we're really good. It's, our, it's, not, it's the nurture that we receive. It's not our nature, it's the nurture. And the Bible doesn't give us that little cop-out. In other words, you can't say on that day, it's because of the way my parents raised me. If your parents raised you to be a thief, you're a thief, but you still have to own that you're a thief. Your parents raised you to be a drug dealer, you have to own that you're a drug dealer. And there's many times that we talk about these things and we say, oh yeah, well, something like alcoholism. Yeah, it could be definitely genetic. It could be, you have genetic predisposition to, to be alcoholic. If your parents are alcoholic, I get it. But you're, when you get drunk, that's on you. It's not on your parents. You still have to own your sin. That's the point of the gospel. The gospel, you cannot come to Christ and say, well, yes, thank you for dying for my sin. Well, they were kind of my sins, but not really because it was the way my parents raised. No, they're your sins, just as much as they were mine. And we have to own them. That's the point of it. And the Word of God, I'm going to give you some verses here so you guys can understand how, how corrupt we are. And the, the Scripture teaches these things. These are, this is not my opinion. Ecclesiastes 7.29 See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Romans 5, 12, verses 12 and 19. Sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sin. Verse 19. By the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. It didn't just stop two generations after Adam. It continues. The child you're about to bear applies to that child as well. See? In other words, it hasn't stopped. This original sin is there. Chron- Second Chronicles 6.36 There's no one who does not sin. We all know ver- uh, Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Well, guess what? That wasn't something that Paul just came up with in the New Testament. Paul, obviously being a Pharisee, knew the Scripture, knew Second Chronicles, and Second Chronicles 6.36 says there's no one who does not sin. But everyone's good, right? I mean, after all, deep down, we all mean well. 
Do you? Mark 7, 21-23 For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. Not from your neighbor. From within you. From within me. And they defile a person. You can compare that with Matthew 15. It's right there. Psalm 5.9 For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. This is how Scripture paints the human heart. And there's more Scriptures. So it's, but the point that I'm trying to make is this is not a gray area. That's simply the point I'm trying to make. This is not a gray area. There's, nothing, there's no room for debate here. It's who we are because this is a Scripture has said. And when it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor to drink until they had killed Paul. So the Jews had a goal. And that goal was to kill Paul. Now, why did the Jews want to kill Paul? They didn't like him. They didn't like what Paul stood for. They didn't like that Paul was talking and believed and spreading this, this message of the resurrection of Christ. They, didn't, they, didn't, they couldn't stand that. So they have this scheme. They have this plot. Now, is the motive just the teaching? I would actually take it a step further. Their motive to kill Paul and to plot what they had plotted was their unbelief. That's really why they want to kill because they do not believe. So they want to go ahead and get rid of Paul because to, of course, you want to kill a snake, you take off the head, right? And this is not the first time that, that, that the Jews tried to do it. That We saw it back in, in Acts 4. It was the same concept. They want to go ahead and kill those that are leading, those that are proclaiming the gospel message. But it's going to be harder than that. It was the same unbelief, by the way, that led the Jews to stone, Paul, uh, to stone Stephen. Same unbelief. Same unbelief. In a court of law today, these Jews would have been convicted of premeditated murder. Today, we would have been seeing it all over the news. Premeditated murder. Forty Jews all at once. Trying to kill this man, which hasn't been convicted of anything, by the way. So we think of this and we think, yeah, well, that's exactly where it is. It's the same sin, it's the same unbelief. Adam prefer, and it doesn't change, right? It comes from it comes from Adam. It came back in the garden. What did Adam prefer? He preferred the tree. Rather than the God that created him. He made a decision. What, motiv- what motivated Joseph's brothers to sell him? Just a different form. Why were the Jews wandering in the wilderness? Because of their unbelief. Because unbelief has its way of hardening hearts. Be careful. Be careful that your hearts aren't hardened to the gospel. I used to do it. I used to make fun of, of, of the same people that, that, that of the same people that, that believe what I believe today. I used to mock them. 
I used to laugh at them. I used to think that they were foolish for believing what they believed. And here I am today. And here you are today. By God's grace. Because the underlying issue is unbelief. Children, don't let, don't let the unbelief, don't let your parents' sin and their total depravity be what keeps you from the throne of grace. Come to Christ. Don't let your hearts be hardened. And that doesn't just for the children, that's for anyone here that doesn't know Christ. They hate the gospel. Now, the second sub-point is that not only did they want to kill Paul, not only did they have a goal, but failure wasn't an option for them. Think about this for a second. They took an oath. We're not going to eat or drink until Paul is dead. You know what that means? That means that if you don't eat, what happens? You die. So in other words, what they're really saying is, either he dies or we die. And it ain't going to be us. That's the level of their depravity. That they made an oath to say, we're going to get rid of him. No matter what. Failure is not an option. We're making an oath. This is going to be our motivation. That we're not even going to eat or drink until he is done. Done away with. No one's going to mention Paul's name again. And that's, you see that in verses 12 and 13. But then you see also that sin oftentimes is justified and planned, is it not? So they didn't just have a goal. They weren't just set on not, and making an oath. But the level of their justification to go through this plan to get Paul killed, that's the level of their depravity. Now you might say, oh, I've never done that. No, you have. You have. You know exactly what it is to justify your sin. You know what it is exactly when you want to do something and you know it's not right. Your conscience is telling you against it. But you find the way to go ahead and justify your sin. They wanted to justify it under the, the guise of, oh yeah, well, well you know, it's, it's a false teaching. No, the, the fact of the matter is they don't believe. They don't believe. I had a, recently a brother that used to come to the church had 10 people holding him accountable. But they had the audacity to say, you know, now going somewhere else, obviously, but saying, you know, yeah, when I was at Cornerstone, no one held me accountable. Think about that. How do you have 10 people calling you, following up with you, telling you, and then all of a sudden saying, well, no one was holding me accountable. Could it be that you were actually going to different people to be able to get away to justify what you were saying or what you were doing? Because that's the sin that we have within us. When we want to justify, we go to lanes. You guys have done it too. When you go to someone and you ask them, man, you know, I'm really, I don't know if I should do this, Y, and Z, and this person says, you know, I, I don't think you should. But then you're going to go to different people until you get the one that says, I agree with you. I think you should. Hey, there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors, right? I was biblical. I went to many people. But you heard the one that wanted, you heard only the one that you wanted to hear. And so this is the level of our, of our depravity in that many times we, we, our sin is so pervasive that we do what we want to do. And we'll go to the lengths that we have to go to to be able to say and then disguise it under a righteous cause. 
were under a righteous mission. And I'm sure these Jews, if you ask them, they thought they were doing something righteous. But not before the eyes of God. Not before the eyes of God. They were still responsible for their ambush. And they would, they would have to answer one day for the decisions and the schemes that they made. But total depravity is not the end of the story, as I said earlier, is it? In this same passage, you also see the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God in the details of our life. In Paul's life, and in your life, and in mine. Verse 16. Paul's nephew. Do you know Paul had a nephew? No, see, it already was in Scripture, right? We don't know much else after, after about Paul. Did you even know he had a sister? That's Paul's nephew. Yeah, Uncle Paul. Uncle Paulie. That was Uncle Paulie. But there he is. Now, how old is he? We don't know. We can maybe suspect that he might have been young by the way that the, um, that the commander, the tribune, grabs him by the hand and kind of leads him away. And, you know, to talk to him privately. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know, he might have just grabbed him by the hand. Come here, like, dragging him. Like, don't, don't say this out loud, right? So no one hears us. Who knows? We don't know much about Paul's nephew. But what we do know is something that all of you know. You ever heard that phrase, you were at the right place at the right time? What does that really mean? Being at the right place at the right time. That's exactly where his nephew was. Now, most likely he was probably Jewish. I mean, Paul comes from a Jewish family. Very staunch Jewish. I mean, he was a Pharisee, right? We just heard his testimony. Chances are his nephew is probably along those lines. Was he close to the, who knows, to the Jewish people, and that's why he happened to be overhearing. We don't know those details, and I'm not going to speculate. But the point is that, was it pure coincidence that he was just there? Or are you going to tell Paul in heaven, man, Paul, you were lucky, man. No, God was in those details. God was specifically in those details. I think of, of, of Philip and the, um, and the Egyptian eunuch. Just going there in this desert road, and there he is giving the scriptures. Was that coincidence? No, God ordained that. Just like God ordained this moment. I think back, and when I, when I look back and I have my career change from teaching into the maritime business that I'm in now, from the public to the private sector, how did that happen? People ask me, man, how did you get into, oh, you were used to be a teacher, so how did you get into shipping? Because it's not very common out here. And then all of a sudden, I tell them the story. And every time I tell the story, I, I can't help but think that is the Lord's sovereignty. Because I do not play soccer on a Sunday. Not because I'm a Sabbatarian. I just choose to stay home with my family. Come to church, spend time with my church family, and then I go home and relax with them. And then one Sunday, out of nowhere, someone comes and says, Hey man, we're sure one guy, you want to come play? Uh, honey, you alright if I go? Yeah, sure, go ahead. If she would have said no, I wouldn't have gone. But she says, yeah, I don't mind. Go ahead. And that one game, that one day, that one conversation has me a completely different career. And there's many more stories of the how I meet my wife. Same thing. I look back and what are the chances? We used to go to the same university in the same time, the same years. Never cross paths. 
Never. If you tell me, oh yeah, she was at FIU, I'm like, I didn't meet her. And she said she was all the time at GC, and, and um, whatever, the, the Graham Center. And there she was. And, but I didn't meet her there. I met her at a party, a Christian party. Don't think, ah, ah, you're like, well, man, what are y'all doing? No, it was a Christian party, right? Don't, don't get any wrong ideas. But it was, it was a, it was a, it was a get together. Just some friends getting together, and all of a sudden, in that party, here she comes and dropping a, a friend that wanted to talk to someone, and there I meet her, and we end up talking till late in the morning. Invited her to church the next day. Again, the Lord is in the details, and you and, and I know that you guys all have stories like that. That you cannot just simply say, "Well, this is a co- little coinky thing." I know Tony always says it's a God, God was it a God incidents? Yeah. Same thing with visiting CBC. I'm not here by accident. I wasn't driving around the neighborhood, and <laughs> you know that you do not find this church unless someone tells you about it, right? <laughs> There's no way, even if you give somebody directions, they do not find this church. <laughs> they'll find Balter meat, they'll find it, but, they, but that's the thing, is I, I came here because of God's grace and God's sovereignty. And many of you probably came to that same um, uh, conclusion, right? And, th- and, and that's the exhortation that I want you guys to really take away here this morning is that the things that you are presently going through are providential. They're not accidental. The things that you're going through right now that I do not know, but the Lord does, they are providential. They are not accidental. God knows and He isn't surprised. Peter was surprised by the amount of waves that he was walking on water. But we know the one that calms the storms and we know the one that calms the seas. You might be overwhelmed by the, by the size of the wave. But Jesus isn't. God isn't. And that's what we need to know, that we can trust Him who knows best. If Paul can sing, and I was just telling my wife here, this, this, if, if Paul can sing in prison, why can't I? Why can't I in the midst of my circumstances? Just hearing even Miguel talk about their whole Edwin uh, son and, and just hearing you know, their desire to have a child and just this delay and like, Lord, when, when, when? You can still praise Him. You can still praise Him because He's in control. God's sovereignty in having Paul's nephew there at the right place at the right time. But the Lord's favor in the centurion, not just the centurion, but also the tribe and the commander, Paul called one, called one of the centurions, does he not? Now, how much freedom did he have? We don't know. He was a political prisoner. He was there. And we usually know that political prisoners don't get much freedom. Right? If you've spoken to someone who's been in Cuba, a political prisoner in Cuba, and you've spoken to them, they tell you it's not fun. And there they are. So... I'm shackled. I'm detained. How am I going to get to Rome? But this was going to be the very means that he was going to make it to Rome. Think about it for a second. Because for us, when we think that God is going to do something, it has to be according to the way we think He's going to do it. I never thought that the job I was going to have today was have to come from me getting terminated in a previous job. I shared this before. The job that I have today is only, and I've been blessed, but to be blessed, 
there was something that didn't make any sense to me. Why would I change from a previous, the first shipping job to another one, thinking this is it, and all of a sudden within 10 months the, the office closes. And now I'm wondering how I'm going to provide for my family. But that's the way the Lord does things. And for us it may not make sense, but what the Lord wants us to understand is that He has us. Cast yourself upon me. Trust me. He is your shepherd as much as He's mine. Your good shepherd will not leave you wanting. You may feel like you're wanting, but I guarantee you, He will not leave you wanting. Because you have the shepherd, you have everything. Who else would you rather have if not the shepherd? The Lord Jesus. That's the point. This is where we need to understand. Beloved, do not put a sovereign God in a box. Of course, you cessationists are going, what? What do you mean? I'm in the same camp, don't get me wrong, but what I mean by that, I'm not saying, well, now you get to go ahead and do whatever you want and God is now going to appear. That's not what I'm saying. God has confined himself to his word and that's all you need. Okay? But what all I'm simply trying to say is, can you say what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 111? Well, what's Psalm 111? Good enough, I have it here in my notes. Psalm 111. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens, and he does all that he pleases. He will always do according to His goodwill and according to His pleasure. But those that are in Christ have something good. Is that you are His child. You are a child of a king. And He takes care of His children. He doesn't leave them. He doesn't forsake them. The sovereign king knows what you're going through and He's not leaving you to figure it out. And he's not leaving it to Paul to figure it out. How he's going to get to Rome. God is going to get him there. Might not be according to Paul's maybe thoughts. I don't know what his thoughts were. I don't know if it would have been me. I would have been perplexed and thinking, how are you going to do this? I'll figure it out. I already have it figured out, Paul. You're going to get there. But I'm going to uphold you during that time. So what's the conclusion? Yeah, we're totally depraved. But there's Jesus, who wasn't. That's the message of the gospel. The message precisely of the gospel is there that there one that wasn't totally depraved. He became sin for us. Not that he sinned, he became sin. That's what we have to go ahead and cling to and understand that in the midst of our total depravity, God sent his only begotten Son. The Nicene Creed, I love it. Because it says, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. Begotten, not made, of the same essence of the Father. Who put that into motion? The Godhead. Jesus didn't decide, they didn't call an audible the moment Adam sinned. That plan was already in motion before the foundation of the world. 
because the sovereign God does that. I know you guys have heard the inconvenient, maybe some of you have seen it, the inconvenient truth, right? You know what the inconvenient truth is? The whole thing about climate change and I think it was by Al Gore and so on and so forth. I already see the eyes rolling. But here's the point. That's not the inconvenient truth. The inconvenient truth is not climate change. And I say inconvenient loosely in the sense that for us that we hear it, total depravity is very inconvenient because it forces us to look at ourselves, to really take an honest look at where my heart is. It is inconvenient in that sense. Your heart and mind is desperately wicked. And if you die in the state of unrepentance, what awaits, the scripture says it, is the lake of fire. It's, it's, it's hell. Eternal separation from God if you die in that state. There is no second chance, unbeliever. There is no plan B once you're in hell. This is not going to continue playing itself out over and over again until you finally get it right. No. That's why you need to take the remedy that God has given you, and that's Christ. The sovereign God overcame our total depravity on the cross by sending His Son to carry our shame, our guilt, our transgressions upon Himself to the cross, receiving the full wrath of God upon Himself. And that is the message that Paul is preaching. That is the message that Paul is taking to the ends of the world at that time. The sovereign king that sent his only begotten son to keep the law in our place, to resist temptation and sin in our place, to receive the full wrath of God in our place, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. May you remember that. in whatever you're going through, Cling to that sovereign King. Cling to your Lord, your Savior, Christ Jesus. Amen. Father, we, we commit these truths to you. Lord, you know that we don't, uh, sometimes we don't even perfectly understand how it, <laughs> him, how can it be? How can it be? <laughs> but why not? Because you're, kind, you're that kind of God. Holy in every way. Who has... Where light has no fellowship with darkness. And yet you find a way to send your only begotten Son. That we can call Him a friend of sinners. That we may put our faith and trust in Him. Lord, we're humbled and we stand in awe. As your children, we ask, help us not to forget these truths. Help us to cling to them. Remind us of them. In those moments of weariness where we're heavy laden, remind us that we have our rest in the Lord Jesus. May you be honored and magnified. Teach us to sing in the midst of our circumstances, to praise you in the midst of our circumstances, and to honor you, not, with just, not just with our lips, but with our lives. 
Be with your people now, Father, as Tony rightly says, as we go into the mission field. Use us this week. Use us even today, that wherever we go, that we would take the gospel with us and share the good news of our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.